Hello, I am Nikki Sharp. I am sitting here with Gita Seshamani. She is the founder of Friendicos Sika. It's an organization that is in Delhi, India. And this organization is really phenomenal. It has been working within the city since the 70s, the 1970s, to help with uh, companion animals, dogs and cats, as well as equines to give them a better life. And uh, Gita started doing this uh, several decades ago, and it's quite remarkable the success that she has had in this huge city with several million people. And the fact is, is that it's gotten so much better and things continue to get better under her leadership. And so right now we're gonna sit down and we're gonna talk to Gita a little bit about Friendicos today. So Gita, uh, you had been studying, right? You've been in America studying and you were uh, in college and you were not really thinking about starting in, uh, a sanctuary. So take us back to what exactly happened that made you kind of start down this path that became Friend of Cosica. It's, it's true that I never thought I'd be running animal shelters. And certainly in my early 20s, uh, my studies, my work with literature and uh, teaching in college was all that absorbed me. But two, three things happened at the same time, like in my early 20s. Um, my one personal experience was of um, going down a road. We were going for an early morning prayer meeting and um, I saw a white dog lying still on the road on the opposite side and I assumed it had been hit and run and had died. When I came back, it was still 6 a.m. and I saw a motorcyclist in front of me go over the legs of that dog and the dog just lifted its head and looked back at the motorcyclist and I was so shocked. I screamed, my mother uh, stopped the car, we picked up the dog, we put it on the side of the road and we petted it a bit and it passed away in our arms. And I just spontaneously said, I said, oh God, there's no place in the city where you can take a dog to die with dignity. There's no place where an animal can go when it's in pain. And I never thought that I would be part of the first animal shelter of Delhi at that time. But a few months later, I came in touch with a group of school children right here just a few yards away from my house, and they were running what they called a kindness club in their school. And a wonderful uh, British lady called Crystal Rogers had been their mentor. And I came in touch with these children, and I started helping them. And since I was the only adult, uh, some of the animals that they'd pick up and they'd rescue, I'd keep in my garage. And this kindness club registered itself as Friendico Seeker. And I believe the name, it was meant to be Friends and Companions. So I really should give credit for the founding of Friendicos to this group of school kids who were just so wonderful. And uh, Anuradha, who was their president of this little club, uh, is still my friend even today. Um, but then I started looking after these animals that they bring in. And Indira Gandhi, our Prime Minister, gave us a small space, just about 17 square meters, under what we called uh, Delhi's first flyover. And it was empty space, and she gave us this place. And she said, why don't you run an animal shelter there? 
And so the next thing I know, we've got 30 animals and I'm going every day after college, feeding them and looking after them. And young people start coming from all over to walk the animals. And that's the great thing about Frenico's. It didn't grow as a formal body. It just grew as, it was, as if it was answering a community need. And I, all the time I thought to myself, how will people even know about this small place under this def defense colony flyover where they can bring an animal in pain or distress? But it just kept growing and young people kept coming and before long we had about 50 to 80 animals. And a couple of years later, um, in those days, uh, stray dogs, all street dogs were either poisoned or killed on a regular basis by the municipal corporations. And it was one of the most distressing things and every morning I had to go down there and people would have brought in these dogs um, with fits and um, in, in terrible shape because it was strychnine poisoning really, which is somewhat like rat poison. And we'd have to put them uh, to sleep and it was a terrible experience altogether. And this kept on happening. We registered in 1980 and this kept on happening to street animals all the way till 1993, when we actually won uh, a high court judgment, which said the poisoning and the killing of animals must stop. And these animals should be instead what we call sterilization, which is a spay-neuter program, should be begun. So that was a great victory for the street dogs. But the initial decade of Friendicos was really, really just treating animals in distress, having people bring them to me by handcarts or anything. We had a wonderful British lady called Kate Alzad who came and helped. Vets gave free services to us. And um, the Friendly Coast just grew more like a community service. People would come to walk them. Uh, people would come to feed the animals. It was a great, uh, how shall I say it, a great community enterprise, really. And uh, finally, we got more formalized in the 80s. And we started taking in annual memberships and lifetime memberships, uh, set up a small executive. But I think by and large, I think what characterizes Friendico's is that it has always grown on the passion of a few people, a lot of people. It's been great teamwork. And today, uh, 41 years down the line, um, we still have our city shelter going strong. Uh, it's a very tiny place. I would say it's the tiniest uh, animal shelter perhaps in India. Uh, we are under the overhang of a flyover, but we still manage to give sterling services. We run three operation theatres, we run three outpatient units, we have a fully, uh, a fully equipped diagnostic path lab, uh, we have a small cat shelter, we have about 300 animals there at any given time. It's more like a trauma center because all the maggot cases, hit and run, etc., are brought in 24-7, anytime, day and night. We have no walls, which I think is like a great metaphor for what uh, Friendly Coast is. So people can just leave animals tied to ambulances or in bags, and we take care of them when we find them. Uh, about in the early, late 90s, we had to make a lifetime care sanctuary uh, outside in Gurgaon, which is the neighboring state. We have about 1,500 to 1,600 animals there today. We run five spay-neuter units and we do about 4,000 spay-neuters each month, uh, both in Gurgaon as well as in Delhi. Uh, we, in 1984, we realized that there were a large number of donkeys and mules and ponies which would be left in the streets with huge saddle sores or after an accident they would be down on the sides of the street and the crows pecking at them. So we 
went to over 68 Tonga stands in the city. In those days, we had 3,000 equines just in Delhi. And we asked them, we said, if we can give medical treatment, free medical treatment to these animals, will you give us just one promise? Don't abandon the animals in the street because the traffic is not kind to them. They suffer a lot before they die. Give them to us. And um, I, I was amazed at the reaction and response. No one had ever carried medical aid to them the way we did. And we got a terrific response from them. Over the years, licenses stopped being given to uh, equines or what we call tongas. And they started moving out into the rural areas. And they started calling me up and saying, would you please come and look at our animals here? We are now in the villages. 20 and 30 kilometers or 50 or 100 kilometers outside Delhi. And so that's how our mobile clinic uh, became more and more, what should I say, had to be more and more active. And today we run an equine welfare and medical mobile clinic, which starts from Delhi on Monday morning and goes right out into the countryside all the way up to Agra. And it stops at about 14 um, towns a lot of villages in between, the people know we are coming, we do surgeries in the field, we provide water uh, to the equines, we build water troughs for them because dehydration in rural areas is a major problem. For equines, uh, we go to brick kilns, stone quarries, construction sites. We cross three states as we do this work and I am so lucky to have a fabulously hardy equine team. Uh, they've been with us from the very beginning. Our vet is very experienced. So um, the mobile clinic that we started in 1984 still goes strong and we try to innovate and improve the services we give. So just two years ago we came up with this great idea of uh, training the Tonga owners themselves, and we set up five paravets. We've given motorcycles to them. So once our mobile clinic moves on to the next set of villages, uh, the paravets we've left behind in the motorcycle continue to give service and continue the treatment and the um, bandaging or first aid or whatever is required with the equines while the main mobile clinic has moved on. So that work also continues. So I would say our major programs today are basically still running our rescue ambulances so that we can reach every animal uh, that we can that's been hit and run or is sick or abandoned. We continue with our equine mobile clinic. We do our spay neuter clinic for stray dogs and now for stray cats too, for feral cats. For the last two years, we've got a very strong uh, cat spay neuter program going. We do adoptions. We run three adoption homes and hopefully a lot of our abandoned pets and our street dogs get really good homes uh, through our adoption endeavors. Um, and we do education awareness wherever possible. So right now we have like 200 staff. We have 3,000 animals in our care at any given time. And we welcome any kind of help that we can get so that we can do better by the animals. Gita, uh, I'm interested in some of the differences that you might see if you visit a city like Delhi versus if you visit a city in the United States. In the United States, you tend not to if you're in a place like uh, San Francisco or where I live in Salt Lake City. You don't see stray animals walking the streets. Uh, but when you do arrive in Delhi, it is one of the things you'll see in the landscape is dogs hanging out in, um, you know, on corners. 
in the median. Now, you say that they're really called community pets a lot of the time, so can you explain what that is and what you do to help them? Sure, Nikki. It's, um, it's really amazing, but uh, Indian life, animals and people coexist pretty peacefully. Um, it's only in recent times that the five big metros have got rid of their cows and have put them into cow shelters outside uh, and are being a little more um, aggressive to making sure that there aren't too many animals in the street. But by and large in India, uh, we have a very relaxed and a very protective uh, attitude towards street animals because for us these are community pets. Whether it's a dog, a cat, a cow, we tend to uh, feed them, or we tend to protect them, and I think animal shelters intervene only when there's been an accident or an illness because the community is not able to cope with that. Uh, street dogs at least are very well looked after now. From 1993, and I would say even more by 2003, when the Supreme Court made it a, a national policy that we would spay, neuter, vaccinate against rabies and take care of our street pets in that manner, people have formed uh, people have formed a kind of um, community dog feeding service and you'll find that each colony there are people who bring not just the scraps from the house but they actually cook for street dogs they make sure that they are spayed or neutered they make sure that they are fed and they contact us whenever they have to be vaccinated and revaccinated annually or if they're sick or unwell. So I think that's a really great program. I don't find it in any other country as organized as the way we are trying to do it in our country. And even smaller towns and villages tend to look after their stray dogs. We seem to um, respect them because they're really great guardians. You'll often hear stories of how it's the street dogs that have stopped burglars getting into somebody's house or stopped somebody's car being stolen or a bicycle being stolen. So people have this kind of a wonderful relationship with their community street dogs. But having said that, um, I think human nature, a cruelty is something uh, which is just inherent in human beings. I mean, when... I first began Friendicos 40 years ago and then we got television and we got so much of um, radio shows getting on and people talking about animal welfare. I thought to myself, wow, this means that people stop being cruel to animals. But people just reinvent cruelties. So if in the olden days it was generally being hit and run or maybe an animal being sick, Today it's like acids being thrown or hot water is being thrown or a drunk man just slashes a mother who's uh, nurturing her litter of pups. So it's, I, I'm now resigned to the fact that human beings will always think of new ways to torture an animal. Or it could be hoarding animals or um, you know, breeding them to death or abandoning them after they've bred them. So there's always going to be some way in which human beings will think of exploiting animals. We find, for example, our shelter is now more filled with abandoned pedigreed dogs than street dogs. Isn't that ironic? In the beginning, it used to be the street dog you were worried about. Now you have to worry about the fact that there's an overbreeding of pedigrees. These pedigrees, no one knows how to look after them. They bring in St. Bernards and big pit bulls, which they don't know how to look after, and then junk them literally in the street when they can't take care of them. And these animals have a tough time because they, they're not street smart like our street community pets are. So they can have a very raw deal. And most of our shelters are now 50% filled with such abandoned pets. So um, 
It's a pity, but I don't think this is the last that we'll see of shelters or of um, animal welfare organizations like us. Well, Gita, you have a very limited budget, but you're able to stretch those dollars pretty far. Can you just give us an idea of uh, what things cost to do here in India? Like if I wanted to support a spay-neuter, what would I have to donate to help a friend de coast with, with a project like that? Well, I think $20 is what it costs us to spay and neuter an animal. And I don't know if it's cheaper outside the country, but here typically what happens is when you bring the animal in, you have to deflee the animal, give it a tick bath, you have to deworm it, you have to deal with any kind of skin problems. Then you do your actual a spay neuter operation and then you do your post-op care and we've got pretty good at it and an animal can uh, just the surgery itself and recovering from the surgery barely takes two to three days and we do keyhole surgery and it's all really well but there are all those other problems that the animal might have when we bring it in from the street from whether it could be just ear infection or it could be like a, um, a cut or a wound. So we, but $20 kind of covers it and we really stretch those dollars and make sure that we put back a healthy, um, sterilized, vaccinated, and an animal that can hold its own in the street when we put it back. We do all that pretty cheap, I think, in $20 we do all that. So it sounds like you, you offer a whole wellness approach. It's not just looking at trying to prevent overpopulation. It's, it's really trying to really take care for these animals. And Nikki, there's a reason for that. You see, when we, uh, when we have the animal with us, we want to make the animal really more acceptable to the public when we put it back. Now, spay and neuter is just a part of the program. Uh, we want them not to say, oh my God, that dog smells, um, and then beat the dog and then make sure the dog doesn't sit near their gate or something. We want the dog to be so safe and healthy that people say, oh, how wonderful, thank you. We're going to continue feeding the dog. And then once the dog is being fed and it's docile and um, children can play with it. So we want the program to work in many different ways. We want them really to be community pets. So over the last 40 plus years, uh, from what you've been talking about, you have personally helped thousands of dogs and cats and donkeys, not hundreds of thousands. So this might be a little difficult to answer, but is there one story that really sticks with you after all these years in terms of an animal that was really special to you? Hmm, tough question, surprisingly. I won't say any one animal, but yes, in the early days particularly, um, my approach to the animals I looked after at the shelter was very emotional. And parting with such an animal or losing the animal when I couldn't make it well was always so devastating that I thought to myself that I cannot continue this work, in fact. But um, I had my mom to thank for always telling me that listen, if you don't get tougher with this, you won't be able to help as many animal, animals as you want to. And then this work is just going to finish. And so I would say uh, it's no one animal, maybe the first dog, that little white dog that started me off, or the first set of animals that I could rehome. And the, uh, and the amazing experience it is when you know that a dog you've looked after is happy and in a home. Or let's say the animals and the love that they gave me in the shelter, it's 41 years, so I can't think of just one animal. 
But yes, in the beginning, every animal was an emotional experience and I really had to work hard uh, to be able to uh, fortify myself and go back there every day. And I can say, yes, I really miss a day at the shelter if I'm in Delhi. One thing I often hear from people is that if they won the lottery, they would give it all away to animals. They would love to make a difference. Now, if someone's listening today and they happen to win the lottery tomorrow and they would like to give it to animals, what would you do if you should get a very generous donation? How could you use that in, in India to make a difference for animals? Oh my gosh, that sounds like a dream come true. Definitely, and I think the first thing would be that I would set up more ambulances. I would make sure that I had adequate resources saved up so that I could pay my medicine and my food bills and extend the services in every direction that I possibly could. And I would definitely do one thing, which is carry the spay-neuter program into the rural areas. There's nothing so upsetting for me as um, traveling through the length and breadth of India and having to close my eyes every time I'm at a railway station, I'm in front of a hotel, I'm passing through a street, and I see all those pups just about dodging traffic or getting hit and run. I see those mothers running around trying to feed those babies, all skin and bones. Um, it's terribly distressing. And I keep thinking, if I had a lot of money, I'd be right here in this town, setting up a clinic and spaying and neutering as many animals as I could. And I think till I have a breath in my body, that's what I'm going to be doing, is getting that service out there. Because you have to reduce the misery. And, you, and the best way to do it would be to reduce the street population, particularly as you go further out from the big metros. And people don't have the resources to feed those animals that are just multiplying out there. And so I think that would be the most useful thing I could do. And obviously then the money would be for medicine, food, and shelter. Learn more about Friendicoast Sika at friendicoast.org, F-R-I-E-N-D-I-C-O-E-S. If you would like to learn more about Wildlife SOS or give to support the research, rescue, and long-term care of the elephants, bears, leopards, and other wildlife at our sanctuaries, please visit wildlifesos.org. We hope our new podcast series helps brighten your day and warm your heart with the tremendous impact we can make together. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.